Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Great stuff. So can we please open up our Bibles together, if we can, at Mark in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 39. And if, as always, you don't have a Bible with you just yet, just quickly put up your hand. Our friends in the front here will give you a Bible already marked at the right space. You can just give it back to us at the end. Just quickly put up your hand if you need one. Because here at Hatfield, we're passionate about what? The Word, the Spirit, and the people of God. So, Friends, we are in a sermon series called Move, and the reason for it is in a month we're launching, and we've said under the banner of the Doxado family, for the last 25 years, the Doxa family has had one vision, to make disciples, followers of Jesus that have a heart for city transformation. We want to see the city transformed to a place where the glory of God is evident. And we've been planting campuses all over the country and the world, and the newest campus is here in Hatfield. But we said under that banner, under that umbrella, there are four things that we are passionate about. Just quickly mentioning them again. We want to be a community for the community, passionate about family that goes on mission together. Secondly, especially in a city deeply divided like Pretoria, to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. That's a must. That's my beating heart for this church. Thirdly, a church for the for the unchurched and the de-churched, for those who do not yet know Jesus, that we would go and find them and that they would be known by Jesus. And fourthly, we, we would be passionate in our pursuit of God and everything that we do, that we would be passionate in our pursuit of God. And we've been saying, as you can see, those things, we cannot do them. We cannot slogan our way, teach our way, pep talk our way, or plan our way to those things. It's impossible We can't move there. God has to move in us to become that kind of church over the next many years. And so we said on our way to the launch, we want to have just five moments where we start five conversations about some things that God will have to move in us. There are these moments in the Bible where he moved in the people, where he moved, and it's not an outward in move, it's an inward out move. God has to do it. And some of these conversations are awkward. I know. So I've been saying, if, it's, if you're new here, this is a bit of a family conversation. So it's walking into that friend's house and they're having family talk and it's like, whoa, this is awkward. I get it. So bear with us. Just smile and wave. It's in its family talk. All right. You happy with that? So the first two weeks, we spoke about some more personal things. God, move us in faith and relationship. This week and next week, we're going to speak about two things that have to do with building the base of the church. How do we strengthen the base of the church? God, move us in those things. Now, if you have relatives that have already gotten married, there's a beautiful dynamic that you would have gotten used to, and that is family that are now called family, but at one stage they were not family. They were boyfriends and girlfriends and intruders and things like that. But now they're family. Now, I'm the youngest of three. I've got two elder sisters. And I'll never forget like those first moments having these boyfriends come in. But I can tell you today, they are like brothers to me. They are family. And they are, and I just thank God for that, two God-fearing, God-loving men. I look up to them in faith. Beautiful, beautiful men of God. But I'll never forget the first holiday that we went, you know, away together with these guys and my, the younger sister of the two, her then boyfriend now, husband went with. And things did not, you know, we didn't get off to a good start, the two of us. You know why? And I've said this before, I'll say it again at the end. I am the most selfish person that I know. 
It's a fact. It's just one of those things. We all have our vices. We all have our demons. It's one of mine. I have to work on it. I will continue to work on it. I will have moved the dots by the time that I'm dead. But that's one of my things. And my brother-in-law, he is one of the most, together with my wife, that's how God works, put us together, one of the most servant-hearted people that I know. So on this holiday, you can imagine what happens. Batman meets the Joker. The, you know, the, the unstoppable force and the immovable object, they meet each other finally. Because the selfish person that I am at 19 years old meets this young man who just loves to serve people. And so I will just, you know, walk out of the conversation with, you know, 10 other people in the room and just go and make coffee for myself and come back. And I don't ask people if they want coffee. Why would you do that? That's so much effort. Then you have to make coffee for other people. That's stupid. Um, you know, at the end of the dinner, I just walk away because why would you want to help clean up? That's so much extra work when there are other people to do it. Now, I know that sounds shocking, but that's where I was. Okay, so I'm confessing. I'm better, but that's where I, that's where I came from. But the, the tension in the house grew because he's someone who's very attentive to those kinds of things. And the moment where it reached boiling point is I'm sitting and I'm with an earshot of a conversation with him and my sister in their room. And I hear him saying, I am so frustrated with your brother's selfishness because he only thinks of himself. And that, friends, was very difficult to hear. You know why? Because it was true. It's the truth. And something that I'd been carrying around as a, as a white elephant all my life suddenly became real. And I had to start dealing with it as a young adult. And in my 20s, that was the reality. Can you truly belong in a family whilst just being a spectator or consuming? That was the question that I had to face. Now, here's how this connects to us. I think exactly the same question needs to be asked about the church today. Listen to what uh, Cook Hammond says about the church, speaking about being missional. He says, only in the Western world is the phrase church shopping used. Is that true? I meet people. Hey, good morning. What are you doing? No, you know, I'm just, I'm just shopping around for church. And I just thought I'd pop in this morning and just come and see what you guys are about. It's almost like this lady at Woolies that you meet. You know, I'm just, I'm just church shopping this morning and I'm just checking out, you know, a bit of the, the salad and the worship and but the groups over here are so nice. And the, I'm like, what is that? The Apostle Paul would be horrified that people are shopping for a church. It's only in the Westernized, including South African world, that we would come up with something like that, that we think the church is about us and what we can get from it because we only think of ourselves. And I don't want to hurt us this morning. That's not the point. I want to show us that Jesus invites us to a very different way of thinking about the church, to salvage the church into something more beautiful. So I want to show us three concepts from a moment in his ministry. It's a very similar passage to last week, but a very different application. So read with me, Mark chapter 1, verse 39. It says, he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And here's our word again, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. 
Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Just that verse 41 again. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched them. Every week we've said we have this statement of God, move us in this. And we're going to read it again at the end and just pray together. So here's our statement. We need to internalize this. This is the start of the conversation. God, move us. So today, Jesus, when it comes to your body, family, bride, and army, the church, move us to become partners, owners, and champions rather than consumers and spectators. Can I read that again? Jesus, when it comes to your body, family, bride, and army, the church, Move us to become partners, owners, and champions rather than consumers and spectators. So three things from this passage, three concepts in the life of Jesus. He is the head of the body. He started not an organization. He started a spirit-infused family. And so his ministry is the pattern for that family. Let me show us three things that we posture ourselves with today. God, move us in service. So number one, we see very obviously compassion. You cannot hide from that word when you read this passage. It says in verse 41, moved with what? Moved with? Oh, wow. For those listening to this later, it it sounded as bad to you as it was in the room, by the way. Um, Moved with compassion. Uh, Jesus reached out his hand. Now, if you're an alien and you are still learning English, and I gave you this passage and I asked you the question, Tell me what the word compassion means. Just from this passage, what do you think you would come up with? Do you think you would come up with, it's an intense feeling that you get. It's like this fuzzy feeling that kind of boils up in you, and it just kind of sits there at the back of your neck for a while. Would that be it? No. I think it might start there. But according to this passage, no, it says Jesus moved with compassion. What? He reached out his hand and he touched them and he healed them. In fact, the definition of the word compassion in the English dictionary is a feeling of deep sympathy for another who is stricken by misfortune. Wow, that's like exactly the start of this passage. But it doesn't end there. It says, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's compassion. It starts with this intense understanding that something needs to be done, and then what? And then you do it. So when the band, The Darkness, says, love is only a feeling, you know, have you heard that song? He's, how do you sing that high, by the way? It's an old song, but you have, to, you have to wear a very tight onesie as a man to sing that high. I don't agree with that because compassion is not only a feeling. Compassion, it says here, is an action. It's a verb, Jesus says. In fact, Alan Platt, who's the founder of the Doxedo family, he would always say, in our apprenticeship with Jesus, our relationship with him, we are being moved from what? From concern to compassion. Why? Because concern, a concerned person sees someone or something, and they think, oh my goodness, something needs to be done. And how often are we concerned about things in and outside of the church? But that's a very different thing from compassion. Concern is nice, but that's not compassion. In fact, probably one of Jesus' most famous parables, a parable is a a made-up story invented to tell deep kingdom truths to people. So he he makes up the story of the Samaritan. And in the story, this guy is pelted by these robbers. He's 
pretty much dead by the side of the road. And then one of the priests, who's like the pastor of the day, the duomini of the day, he comes by, he ignores him. Then the Levite comes past, he's like the worship leader of the day. He comes by, he ignores him. And then the Samaritan, Jesus chooses that character in a story so intentionally because the Jews hated the Samaritans. So choose whoever you hate in life. He says, that guy came past after your heroes left the guy to bleed to death. And listen to what he says about him. He says, but a Samaritan, verse 33, on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had what? He had compassion. And what does that mean once again? Oh my goodness, what a feeling I have for this poor man. No, it says he went over to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's money, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And then he asked that kind of redundant question, which of the three of these do you think was the better neighbor to him? Because he's saying what? The the Levite and the priest had deep concern in their hearts, but who showed compassion? The Samaritan. Because concerned people say, oh my goodness, someone should do something. The compassionate person does it. You see, concerned people take note. Compassionate people take action. Concerned people have suggestions to solve the problem. Oh, so many suggestions. Compassionate people take responsibility. That's a killer in the church. Oh, the suggestions. Concerned people worry about the issue. Compassionate people give and act to change the issue. Concerned people see obstacles, compassionate people see opportunities. There's a massive difference in Jesus' heart between having just concern and being moved toward compassion. I believe the church should be made up of people who are continually on the journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey of progressively becoming more compassionate. When we see something in the space and the way that we do family on mission together, we take action. Now, before we move on, just one thought. Where does this compassionate posture come from? Is it just me telling you, man, stop being so selfish. Maya, just stop doing that. Just do it. Jason, stop doing that and just do it now. Is it just because I say so? Is it just because you have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps or just you know, turn over a new leaf in life or whatever it is? No. Where does it come from according to the Christian worldview? It comes from a compassionate God who melts the heart of incompassionate people. It's the degree to which I will allow in faith and trust the truly compassionate God to creep into my heart that the joys of the world will start becoming less of themselves and more like Him. Because in one of his other parables, probably the second most famous one, he tells the story of the two sons. And the youngest son says, I want my inheritance. And he runs away to Vegas or Sun City. And it's just prostitutes. And he's between the pigs. And he messes up his life. And then he realizes, I need to get back to my dad. And when he's on his way back to his father, it says the father is waiting for him on his property. And listen to what it says about him. This is a picture of God. Just a picture. 
It says, so he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and what he was filled with? Compassion. And he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed them like Middle Eastern men would do. The God that we serve, that we can hardly comprehend, the God that if I say a word about him, I do a disservice to him. God comes in the person of Jesus and he says, let me tell you a story about him. One way just to understand something of him is he is the God who is so moved in compassion when confronted with your and, and my brokenness and sin and rebellion and hurt and lostness, that he runs to us. And how does he do that? Paul says, he's just taken up an emotion, Galatians 2. He says, I, Paul, I was the most religious person out there. I had all of it done. I could, I could religion you under the table. But he says, I have realized this. I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by trust. I can't do it. But he has done it in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. Where does compassion come from? It comes from seeing the compassionate God who comes to give his life for you. And when that comes into my heart, day in, day out, I start changing. God is not, in, he's not interested, friends, hear me, in, in behavior modification. He's interested in heart transformation through faith. Have you allowed this God to do this in your life? Charles Spurgeon said, whenever he asks a person, how's it going with your faith, religion, Christianity? And they say, oh, I'm trying. He knows. Maybe they've been convicted of sin, maybe. But they've not been convicted by the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Oh, I'm trying. It's Jesus. Compassion leads to compassion. Okay, the second thing we see, it's not just that the church will be made up of people who lead with compassion, who take up that ownership. But the second thing is perspective. Just really briefly, perspective, I think you see in this moment. This is so crucial. I love this. Verse 39, read with me quickly. He says, he went into Jesus, all of Galilee. Now just see the contrast quickly. All of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It's like the height of ministry in that ancient Eastern context. And then a man, just one, just a solitary man with leprosy comes to him and he's on his knees and he begs him. That's so visceral. That's so it's like dust in your face. It's like the crowds and the bigness and the synagogues and the preaching circuits. And then one man on his knees with leprosy. Now, if you know anything about, if you just read around Jesus' ministry, if you just read through the Gospels, you'll see this theme all the time. The crowds and the individuals. The important and the less important people. And all the time you'll see Jesus, the crowds want to own Jesus. They want him to do what they want him to do. Some of them want him to be like this, this political figure. Us Jews, we've been under the thumb of the Romans for too long. We need to rise up again. This man, Jesus, he's the right guy to do it. His family, they destitute. They like hand-to-mouth culture. We don't have enough food. We, we're not making it. This strange brother of ours, I guess he's going to lift us up socioeconomically. 
Some of the crowds just want him to provide for them. So everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Jesus, focus on the crowds. Be a crowd person. Get onto the circuit. Make your name great. Start your social media account. You know, do the Facebook Live thing. Make sure that your name is great out there. But then this one person comes to him. And not just any guy, a guy with leprosy. Guys, leprosy is such a horrific thing. Your flesh is literally rotting off of you. These people were ostracized. They were thrown out of their communities. You had to live outside of the gates of the community. And when people were coming on the horizon, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. To announce to them that you are that person. I don't want to infect you because I am this infected, you know, I'm this, I'm this terrible person. And this guy, he, it's almost like he crosses the border. That's like such a bad thing to do in their culture. He, he breaks that social rule and he goes up to Jesus and he begs him. This is such a personal moment. And what does Jesus do? When confronted with, we have to change the world, the kingdom of God, the Middle East, the whole thing. We're going to change the world. What does he do? He focuses on the one face in front of him. He focuses on the one face that is in front of him. He is not overly impressed by or paralyzed by the crowds. He intends to focus on the one face in front of him. In fact, you'll see this over and over again in his ministry. Matthew 20, again, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him and these two men on the sides of the road. And they cry out, Jesus, help us. And the crowd says, quiet them down. Jesus, do this, do this. But Jesus says, shh, shh, shh. What do you want? What do you need? And the pe- these two men say, will you heal us? we blind. And what does it say? Moved with compassion, Jesus touches their eyes and they healed. He focuses on the need right in front of him. You know, Mother Teresa, who literally gave her life, worked herself to the bone for the poor and the destitute. She famously said this. She said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then what? Then feed just one. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. It's that simple. When I think about church, I often think about the fact, move us in our service, that some of us are so awestruck by the crowds. I have the giftings, Joe. We don't have the platform yet for what I can do. Okay, just start with where we are. Maybe you have incredible gifting for when the church is, I don't know, 10,000 big. That's awesome. This is where we are. Maybe if you're a brain surgeon, maybe just greeting people at the moment on a Sunday is where you should start. Maybe we can't feed a hundred yet, but we can feed one. Maybe we should start just with where we are. I believe God will keep on shaping us as a church into who we should be. But if we are so enticed by and so paralyzed by the bigness of it that we can't even see our little slice of the elephant that we can put our hand to, We're going to miss the journey. I believe God has something for each of us to do. Now, one of my friends, Theo, I was in part of his worship team many years ago, and we had this, we hosted this worship event for students, and he was so into it at one moment. We were just flowing, and things were going great, and at one stage, he kind of mixes up his words. I've told this story before, and he starts singing, God, less of you and more of me, less of you and more of me. And the students, typical as they are, they're so into it, they just go with it. they like tears in their eyes, God, less of you and more of me. Some of you are like also still getting there. 
Guys, in the church, when it comes to our posture, it is exactly the opposite. God, less of us and more of you. If I am so great that I am too much to put my hand to the plow, maybe some of this needs to sink into my heart. I have seen in my journey in church, I've seen hand surgeons, I've seen investment bankers, I've seen plumbers and electricians, I've seen students, I've seen young adults, I've seen empty nesters, I've seen people with young kids, I've seen the spectrum of people do the spectrum of things when they are passionate about what the church is doing. I've seen people from all walks of life. I've seen people lead community groups. I've seen people take and lead missions teams into the nations. I've seen people pouring coffee on a Sunday that are so incredibly gifted. Their calling is in the marketplace. They are called to walk in the city, but they see something that they can put their hand to when we gather as the church, and it's beautiful because it's less of me and it's more of you. There's perspective. I can't do it all, but I can do this one thing. And when the church does that, it's beautiful. And finally, I see in this, in this passage a concept of compassion. I see something of perspective, but finally, and this is important, I see something of willingness. <laughs> I see something of a willingness. Just read with me again there in verse 40. Isn't this incredible? This man, he comes to Jesus. He's so desperate. There is no help for him. This is a different time with medical practices. And he just, he asks Jesus this question. Can you imagine? He doesn't have the knowledge that we have about who Jesus is. And he just asks him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I just think about that. And I, I can just imagine Jesus with almost tears in his eyes and a smile on his face, just looking at this poor man saying, I am willing. I am willing. You know why? Because this is why I came. This is exactly why I came. This man's question almost presupposes the question, is the kingdom a kingdom of lack, a kingdom of not enough, a kingdom of not wholeness, not healing? Is the, what is this kingdom made of? And Jesus, from the perspective of the God-man, God incarnate says, I am willing because I represent a kingdom that when that kingdom even touches something like leprosy, it flees, it changes, I am willing. In fact, I come to announce in my short three years that God is making all things new and nothing will ever be the same when the kingdom people and the kingdom project and the kingdom church engages, I am willing. The cry of my people, the church, will be, we are willing. If the head of the body, Jesus, had the posture to say, I am willing, what should the posture of the people be? What should the posture of the body and the limbs of that body be? We are willing. But you know what that comes up against in the westernized world? Again, we are in South Africa, friends. We are a brand of our own. But we have got the influence of the western church in us. That willingness comes up against consumerism and individualism. And church, it's all about me. So let's get back to our friend Kim Hammond from the beginning, who says it's only in the West that we shop for church. He says this, he says, people look for church as a place to go and meet their needs, rather than a base to be sent from to serve the community. 
Now, is the church a family where we find wholeness and all of that? Of course it's that. But it becomes not just it's us and for the community. It's all about us. It's just for me. It's just my needs. It's just the salad bar that pleases me. He says, we consider that we go out of a worship service and we go home feeling fed or not. Have you done that? I've had that. Like, how, was, how was the worship for you today? How was the preaching for you today? What do you think of the church today? Have you heard that joke? Or maybe it's a true story about the lady who comes up to the pastor afterwards and she tells him, I didn't enjoy the worship today. And I just think under the inspiration, it must be of the Holy Spirit. He just tells her, that's okay. We were not worshiping you. I just think that is so brilliant because it's true. I understand the dynamics of the band and all of that, but that's the truth. It's not about you. <laughs> we were worshiping God. But when it becomes all about us, and so what? He, he summarizes it. He says, so the church turns into a mall for consuming goods and services rather than an equipping station to send us into the world. No, Jesus says, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. You know, my wife, for many years, she was an estate agent. And one of the, one of the, the fun things that you learn as an estate agent, being in hundreds of people's homes, is the difference between a renter and an owner and the mindset between the two. Not good or bad, just the reality. And how owners look at their homes differently and renters look at their spaces differently. Or if you've ever been like in a... In a townhouse complex, you go to the yearly GM meetings. There's no renters there. Why? Because they don't care. There's only a bunch of owners. What are we going to do about this place? The renters are like, yeah, what are you going to do about this place? That's the reality. Because an owner walks into a space and he says, how can I add value to this place? An owner sees a problem and he makes it his problem or her problem because it is. <laughs> an owner takes pride and joy in their home or space they want the best for it, and they invite people into it with great joy. A renter thinks differently. So let me ask you the question. Let me ask, ask, ask the question. Again, if you're new with us, I know this is family talk, so just smile and wave once again. But let me ask us as Dr. Hatfield the question this morning. My own heart, do you have an owner mindset with regard to this church or a renter mindset with regard to this church? Is this my thing? Or is this our thing? Do we have ownership about this together? Because an owner says, if there is something, it's my issue. I will put my time, my energy, my money, my emotions on the line. Now let me give you just one or two actionables and then we're done. Maybe for some of us. Don't try and do all of these. Just one of them. For some of you guys. As a thought. Maybe it's time for some of us to take ownership of relationships in the church, community. For some of us, this could look like joining a community group. Friends, I know we don't have all the bases covered yet with times and places and demographics and spaces in the city geographically, but it's so amazing. We haven't even said this out loud yet, but on that Sunday, the 23rd, we are, we are doubling our community groups. It's so awesome, not because we are forcing them to. They've just exploded now to the place where we can do that. So we're going to have double the amount of places where people can genuinely be in the church. Again, I love Sundays. That's why in Doxa we speak about Sunday celebrations. It's a, it's a place to celebrate Jesus, but church happens in community. Some of us have been keeping community at arm's length, and I'm saying it's at your own detriment. 
If you think that one day when the pawpaw hits the fan in your life that the church will be around you, it will not because we will not even know. If you think that your kids will have these deep-rooted kingdom values because they see you interacting and sacrificing with and walking with the church, they will not because they used to a once a week, every second week, our late in, early out church, they will not see that as deep faith. Some of us need to be rooted in community. We need to take ownership of that. Maybe for some of us, it means inviting some of the people on a Sunday or in community into our homes without me asking you to do that. Out of your own accord, saying, hey, come to our space or me coming to your space. If you don't have the kind of space that you can invite someone into, invite yourself to their space or take them out for coffee. Some of us have had not a single interaction outside of a Sunday with anyone in the church. I'm not scolding you. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. It's called the church of Jesus. It will change your life. Take ownership of relationships. Stupid thing. You're going to hate me for saying this, but it's true. Come to church on time. Quarter to nine here. I know. Why do I say this, friends? This is so crucial that we make a value statement about what's important. Again, if you think, families, just hear me out again. This is not a sort of surefire thing. If we think our kids will not do what they see us doing, we are making a massive mistake. Some things, most things are caught, not taught. Make it a value now. It will be a value forever. Take ownership of maybe relationships. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe take ownership of some serving opportunities. Maybe that's some of you guys here today. Maybe take ownership of some serving. Maybe just a small thing. Maybe just in the crew. Maybe the worship team. Maybe the kids' ministry. Um, there is, again, not a million things we are doing yet. We are not, we're never going to do a million things. That's why there is the church of Pretoria and the globe. <laughs> It's not one church taking over the city. It's the church being the church, and we have our role to play. But there is something we can do. At the end of the service, maybe that Next Steps card has something on there that you realize you need to do. Maybe for some of you, it's becoming a partner of the church. I want you to come to our partners evening and hear some very crucial things about the DNA of this church. I want you to wrestle with me about some of those things, and I want you to commit to be a member of this church. Maybe that's your thing. Take ownership of it. Maybe for some of you, it just means that you need to start shaping the culture of serving in this, in this church. Maybe a third one is just taking ownership of evangelism and discipleship. Practical thing. Invite a friend to this church who is not in a church. What a revolutionary thought. <laughs> Have you, isn't that crazy? What a thought. We are going to change the world, friends. Please don't invite people that are part of other churches already. That's not helpful. Then we just shuffle the spiritual deck of Pretoria. <laughs> what does that help? We're growing because five people moved from another church. That's awesome. No, we want to see people. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Pretoria that are not in a church. We want to see other churches planted that will see those people coming to know Jesus because the church, Jesus changed my life and it will change their life. I commit to you that every person in this pulpit will preach the gospel passionately. But I'm telling you that people come to know Jesus on the arm of a friend or a colleague or a family member. 
You need to take ownership of those people. Yes, we have systems to follow people up and do all those things. But I see people sticking when they come with others. Who's that friend? Do you follow them up? How's it going? Man, I'm struggling as well. Here are some of the scriptures that I'm wrestling with at the moment. How are you doing? Those are the things that we do when we take ownership of discipleship of the people. Maybe a last one. It's just ownership of future possibilities. Here's just a cool story. Someone in the church just sends me a message the other day and says, listen, I've got a background in property, and I just felt this thing that we, sh- we need to start looking for the next venue. And the evening before, Shay said, my wife, she thinks it's time that we start kicking off the search for the next venue. Because as you can see, it's time that we start kicking off the search for the next venue. <laughs> and I told this person, whether, however it works out, thank you for that. Because that speaks of what? It speaks of ownership. That speaks of the fact that this is not someone else's thing. This is our thing together. We are not a church that sees the gathering of the church as the church. We are a church that sees us now, after the service is done, as going to be the church. So in your calling, in your gifting, in your work, in your parenting, in your studies, that is the church. But there's also ownership of the gathering of the church. There's also ownership of where the church and its gathering is going. And I think some of you have incredible gifting and skill for that. And I think God is saying, take ownership of it. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says the body is all these different parts working together. And when Jesus, when he says in uh, Matthew 9, when he sees the crowds and he feels compassion on them and he cries and he says, look at these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You know what he says? He says this, the workers are few. So pray to God that he would send out workers into the harvest. He's praying for you and for me. So let me finish off. Worship team can join us. We're going to read our move statement once again and end off. Let me just tell you this story. My journey with being the most selfish person that I know. You know where some of that changed? It was in the church. It was in the church. And one moment like that, I went on an outreach with some of the other young people. We went to Zimbabwe. And we all had these challenges that we had to do. We just, for some reason, thought we needed to do that. And it had to connect to your character journey in Christ. And with me, with this whole thing of being selfish, the team thought it'd be good if I made coffee for everyone every morning. That was my challenge. And so we had three stovetop coffee makers. Now, I don't know if you know that. That's like a schlep to make coffee with a stovetop, right? And so I had three of them to make coffee for like 15 people. Every morning, I have to get up at five to make those coffees. Do you know what? At times, I don't want to do that. I didn't like it necessarily, but you know what? As I stood there making those coffees, every morning, progressively more and more, something seeped into my heart and I had this emotion. Call it what you will, but I just had this thing of this, this is the kingdom. This is Jesus. This is the compassionate God becoming compassion in me. I want to challenge us that Jesus says, man, the city needs a church. If we want to be a church, that can stomach the discomfort of multi-ethnic church, of being a church for those who are lost and do not know Jesus yet. Friends, we will have to be a church that is perspective, that's willing, that's compassionate. So stand with me, if you will. Jesus, when it comes to your body, your family, bride, and army, the church, move us to become partners, owners, champions, rather than consumers and 
spectators. Only you can do this. In Jesus' name, we pray. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. Only you can do this. Only you can do this, Jesus, we pray.